I am nomad. No, you're not nomad. You're an alien machine. It doesn't matter which side runs the village. It's run by one side or the other. Oh, certainly. But both sides are becoming identical. Because the owners of this country know the truth. It's called the American dream, because you have to be asleep to believe it. There's a 68.71% chance you're right. Cute. End of line. There's nothing in this world that you can own that I can't take with force, except Bitcoin. Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape! Euros are going to zero. The yen's going to zero. The Chinese currency's going to zero. It's all going to zero against Bitcoin. Look at these three words written larger than the rest, with a special pride never written before or since. Tall words proudly saying, we the people. Then what will happen to us? There's no trace of my money. My office is gone. What will I do? How will I live? Your programming tapes have been altered. You are in error. You are a biological unit. You are imperfect. I am no man. Greetings, cads and bounders. Welcome to the 21-fold, episode 8. Very thrilling. I'm Nomad 21. And today, an exciting rip, a profound one. My first interview on the newest pod on the Bitcoin block. I sit down with the very gracious and humble Patrick Melder, whom you may be familiar with already as the founder of Lago Bitcoin, that's Lake Bitcoin in Spanish, a project that is changing lives in Guatemala as we speak, who is also equally significantly the author of a pair of acclaimed books on Christianity and Bitcoin. I myself have been very interested in the latter topic as I've found my own personal journey of seeking truth and hope fostered by the wonder of Bitcoin and its unique propensity to see the world in its current seemingly darkening state in a much more positive light against all odds. Patrick is a retired medical doctor and is a believer in the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. I understand that this may not be your cup of tea on first glance if you're of a different persuasion, but I can tell you through first-hand experience that Patrick is not mm, particularly evangelical, not preachy, as it were, but in fact, quite matter of fact, however dedicated to his calling as a Christian who leads his life by example. He made a special point to make it known that the Lago Bitcoin project is in no way evangelical, but simply an act of education and a fostering of truly free market values that only Bitcoin can catalyze. So no matter your disposition, feel free to stay with us for this terrific interview. Bitcoin and its compatibility with Christian values. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Nomad 21. Uh, I'd like to thank our special guest today on the program. It's Patrick Melder. 
And Patrick, of course, is the author of The Christian Case for Bitcoin. And uh, perhaps more recently, Patrick, what is the title of your latest book? It's The Bitcoin Philosophy. I'm getting that wrong. It's The Philosophy of Bitcoin and Religion. There you go. Thank you kindly for that. And uh, not only that, uh, Patrick is the key figure in the uh, Lago Bitcoin project in Guatemala. And perhaps you can tell us a, a little bit about that, Patrick. Yeah, absolutely. And just for everybody who's listening, um, got great reviews on my first book. Only have one star on my second book. I think the one star was from probably an atheist who didn't agree, agree with my <laughs> <laughs> presuppositions, but um, they're both really good books. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. So uh, by training, I'm a ear, nose, and throat surgeon, and um, I'm in my mid 50s. Uh, retired from medicine just because of physician burnout. And got into Bitcoin and went down the proverbial bat, uh, rabbit hole in 2021, mid 2021, early 2022, but have been associated with Bitcoin since about 2018. I, I bought my first Bitcoin portion of Bitcoin in 2018. And when I started going down the, the rabbit hole, I started wrestling with these things that I found in Bitcoin, these truths, these principles that were just eerily similar to the principles that I hold as a Christian. And uh, to be honest, I, I felt like I was having blasphemous thoughts, um, as strange as that may sound. It's just, you know, for those who are not familiar with that, I'm, I'm just trying to give you my personal account of, of my own struggles. But you know, if you if you believe a certain way and you have a certain worldview, if you if you have contrary or contrarian thoughts or potentially conflicting thoughts, I, I just felt really conflicted about how uniquely similar my faith in Christ was and um, what was becoming a deeper and deeper understanding of Bitcoin. So I started writing about it. I started a podcast and the, the writings became the, I wrote them, I wrote, uh, wrote a series of blogs on medium and that became the basis for my first book. But as I was doing that, um, I wanted to take my Christian experience and I'll get to that here in a minute and use Bitcoin as a means to help with that Christian experience. And so what I mean by that is um, I've been a Christian for most of my adult, or my entire adult life. I became a Christian when I was in, in high school. And after I finished my medical training, my surgical training, I went on a series of mission trips. And my experience on a mission trip is really no different than what any person who goes on a humanitarian trip would face. Mine just happened to be a faith-based one, but you know, if you're part of the Peace Corps or any other organization that goes out and tries to improve the, the lives of people around the world, something that's just a challenge is creating economic opportunity without creating dependence. And in, in, with my background, I could go and do a medical clinic. I could go and build a school or build a clinic or, you know, drill a water well or build a church. But, you know, you're kind of putting a patch on the problem and the fundamental problem, obviously, with a lot of 
places in the global south, what we call now call the global south, is just lack of opportunity. Lack of opportunity that, quite frankly, is the the result of what is essentially colonial uh, monetary colonialism mm-hmm. perpetrated by you know the U.S. and and in Africa, it's it's perpetrated by France with the SEPA franc. So anyway, I started seeing this injustice and Bitcoin for me became that that tool whereby I could go in and do the same work I wanted to do in the in the past, but now actually provide economic opportunity. And my family and I had been down to Guatemala for about six years in a row from 2012 to 2018 when my when my girls were in middle school and high school, we wanted to give them a sense of service. So we took them down every year and worked in the community that we're now doing the the Bitcoin Lake project at Lago Bitcoin. And so that's my association with Guatemala. But my desire was to basically revisit that area because we had relationships there and now bring this new tool to help transform the lives of the people in the community. And no matter one thing I'll, I'll say, because I know this is kind of a Christian bent or Christian themed, you know, topic, but I, I just want everybody to know that my faith informs my actions. Our project in Guatemala is not evangelical. So right. we've had people from all over the world, all types of faiths and worldviews come down and help us. But that was my motivation for doing what we're doing in Guatemala. Okay. Um incredible project and and it's so great to see that uh you are inspiring other people around the world to pick up uh the same mentality and uh we're seeing uh circular bitcoin economies pop up you know the world over and and that's just Mm -hmm. such a wonderful thing to watch grow and it seems to be catching um the the spirit of, of the of the what i would call the greatest social tool um to defend human rights and freedoms and, and just yeah. give the average schmo a chance to even save, you know, so. That's right. That's right. No, hundred percent, hundred, 100% agree with that. Um, do you see how people could consider Bitcoin as a gift? And here we go from a higher power because we have a uh, Tomer Strolite who, whom you know very well, and uh, mm-hmm. he sometimes riffs on it as an alien technology. You know, he writes these wonderful mm-hmm. uh, articles mm-hmm. about that subject matter. Uh, people like Laser Hoddle have been yep. uh, touting yep. it as in line with Christianity. And you'll offer, mm-hmm. often see him tweeting uh, Christian imagery and uh, little captions below and Bible quotes and, and whatnot. And then mm-hmm. I, I talked with Guy Swan on my old pod. And uh, we got, you know, very spiritual in our riffing mm-hmm. uh, back and forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do you think, you know, perhaps Satoshi Nakamoto was divinely inspired? That, that's a great question. And I, I think, Nomad, from my perspective, again, from my worldview, Anything that's good in this world is a gift from God. And it, that may be a very difficult thing for people to grasp 
but in my thinking, we exist and we breathe and we have our being because God allows us to to do to have that to have these things. Mm-hmm. Um, if it wasn't for the grace of God, you know, we we would all be you know not here. So any good gift I see as a gift from God, and I absolutely believe that Bitcoin is a gift from God. I, I, I hundred percent in my heart believe that it to be that. Yes. Cool. Um, that, that doesn't mean now that, that doesn't mean that we should attribute any sort of special benediction to it or homage to it. Um, or perhaps or perhaps drop the reins and just say, OK, uh, you know, God, you lead us here. We're that's right. You know, that's like right. The, don't expect that there's no work involved. And and absolutely. Yeah. And and uh, planning and and thinking and uh, creating. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, creating that's it. OK, that's very interesting. You use that term because. The the creative work of God persist to this day i mean i i think it's it's a known fact that the universe is is expanding and so from a christian worldview you can imagine on the farthest reaches of the universe god is still creating planets and solar systems that we just will never see entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. i think is a direct um, feature or image of who God is through entrepreneurship and innovation, we create, we think of things new. It's, it's a direct imprint of God's creative gift in us. So, uh, and the really, really beautiful thing about Bitcoin, I mean, I've been studying it now for, you know, going deeply over two years, nearly two years. And it, it just amazes me the, the myriad facets of Bitcoin, and there are still facets of it that are not even known yet. Yeah. And I find it fascinating how, you know, if Bitcoin was a template and then you have uh, the Bible as a as a something to put that template over, and I'm blown away mm-hmm. by how much it is in sync with what mm-hmm. I'm reading from the Bible. And now my trip is uh, I was born and raised as a uh, Roman Catholic. I went to Catholic schools. I went to a separate high school. Uh, it was a private boys' school. We had deacons and uh, priests from the Congregation of the Resurrection as our uh, teachers and, and principals. And uh, um, I was confirmed. You know, we went through all the sacraments, and uh, and then you know, at, as I came of age and began to develop my own philosophies and ideas. I steered away uh, from Christianity um, and went more, you know, science-based. And and mm-hmm. um, not that I ever gave up being a spiritual person. That is, that's that golden rule that it doesn't matter what faith background you have or if you don't have one, it's treat others as you would like to be treated. That's kind of a human mm-hmm. uh, given, uh, no matter what you mm-hmm. do. Uh, but in the last, you know, two and a half, three years, I cannot believe the things that are afoot 
in this world. And I cannot draw any other conclusion except that there are evil forces at work. Mm -hmm. And this led me to start to think, well, if there is such evil, would it not stand as great a chance as there, you know, couldn't there be good in the world too? And um, I went through a series of wild coincidences just sitting in uh, coffee shops and, and perusing the pages of the Bible and then having different folks come up to me and talk to me about it and being excited seeing somebody else reading it. And I'm still kind of a skeptic. I feel like, you know, the jury's out and I, I just, you know, I'm the doubting Thomas. I want proof, you know, the trust don't mm -hmm. verify for all the Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. uh, but it's remarkable. Um, you know, like I've, I've recently been into the uh, uh, book of Psalms and mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's wild what, uh, you know, David says about some of the evil forces that he had to face and Paul. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really, really fascinating. So this has led me to revisit the possibility of um, the existence of, of God. And so I'm on, this is my journey, which has led me to you. And I was fascinated with your interview with uh, John Ballas. And obviously to me, it, it doesn't matter what faith people have as long as they're executing good deeds in their own lives. And I, and I love what you're doing in, in Guatemala. And, uh, so, so here we are. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, what's funny. And, and I know, you know, from the Fallis interview that his piece money Messiah right. <laughs> is the reason I wrote my second book. It, oh, it just great. set me off. It, it triggered me. I had, I had to respond. Um, but I, I think, well, the, the, okay. So, just given my background and my training, um, you know, doctors, we call ourselves scientists, but we're really pseudoscientists. The, the trust don't, the, the verify don't trust is, is big within medicine. And um, I've always approached my faith like that as well. So I'm, I'm a very logical proof oriented person. And the, and I'm always a skeptic, you know, when I, especially when I was younger, I, even though as a Christian, I, I would have my own self-doubts about my beliefs and faiths. faiths. Um, and I remember when my, my oldest was in middle school, um, I told her, I said, Carly, you know, it, it's okay to doubt um, your faith because she was being brought up in a Christian home. She was basically assuming the faith of, of her parents. And I said, it's okay to doubt but you can't leap from one belief to another without making sure that the belief that you're leaping into is, is actually true and correct. So I would always encourage people that if they're doubting or questioning, you really have to make sure that whatever you're jumping into is sound and correct uh, because you, you can leap from belief to belief and really not understand the truth. And I think for Tomer, and if you know the story about Tomer, I, I, he was my first guest on my podcast. He found me through my writings on Medium, and I led him to the Lord. He was a militant atheist Jew, and he saw my writings and saw 
similar parallels between truth and Christianity and sought me out. And I kind of just openly just laid everything out and had the pleasure of baptizing him after Bitcoin 2022 in uh, April, I think it was in, in Miami in the Atlantic ocean. But I think the, the key here, Nomad, is that what, and Tomer confirmed this for me and it's, and it's self-evident, but if you don't believe in an absolute truth, then you have to make a truth for yourself. And I'm actually writing a fiction novel now that, that kind of lays this whole thing out. But when you come across Bitcoin, there's nothing relative about it. It's, it's an absolute truth. You abide by the rules of the Bitcoin blockchain. And if you don't, then you know the next transaction does not occur and you don't have your Bitcoin. It's, it's an immutable truth. And for a lot of determinists or objectivists, this is the real, this is the first real truth that they've identified in their lives. Now, and I should say it's probably the first real general truth that they've identified. I mean, we all experience quote unquote truth as it relates to the law of gravity or, you know, one plus one is two. Um, so there are certain truths that we encounter in the physical world and without them, the physical world would not operate. But Bitcoin is transcends the physical world. It, it, it brings in psychology, sociology, anthropology, religion, and there's nothing else like it. There's no other truth like it, in my opinion, except for the truth found in the Bible. And I think that's why people are drawn to it. I think that's why people have, quote unquote, a religious experience with it, whether or not they end up finding a faith in the Lord or not. They, a lot of Bitcoiners have religious experiences with it. And I think the other thing that I really wanted to get out of my second book and that I really took John Ballas to task and a really kind of a lot of Bitcoiners is um, as a person who's been a Christian my entire life and being ridiculed for my beliefs, you know, in various circles. Now we have this group of very highly intelligent people, Bitcoiners, because most, most people who really understand Bitcoin are just really smart people. You have to be. Um, and they come from a, a deterministic or a objectivist background in the steps of Ayn Rand. And they were our main critics. They would be my main critic 20 years ago about my faith. And now they, they're coming and finding this faith in Bitcoin. And I just find it's really kind of interesting. And I think ultimately the terminology verify first and don't trust that that's ultimately a faith statement. And I don't think any true Christian, well, I need to be careful about that. I, I think that the believers that the Lord wants are people that verify his words. And I know this to be the case because, you know, I think you mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast that, you know, you're a doubting Thomas and that, that comes from the apostle Thomas who was not there to see the Lord resurrected uh, when he first appeared to the disciples. And 
um, the, the time that Jesus appeared, Thomas had to actually put his fingers in Jesus's, you know, uh, wrist or hands um, and feel the side where he was pierced before he believed. And so doubting and wanting proof is not bad. It's and then also in Acts chapter, I think it was 17, when Paul was uh, preaching and doing his missionary journeys, the there's a certain community called Berea. And it's a very small verse, but it says that the Bereans were commended because they tested. They went back and looked at all the scriptures to verify that what Paul was saying was true. So the truth, verification back to, back of to truth, the Bible blockchain. It, bingo. That's right. <laughs> and I think a lot of people don't they don't get that analogy. But if you really study the conicity of the Bible, um, the, the Bible really is the first blockchain. And it's it's there's been it's been hashed. It's been verified and it's been locked for you know thousands of years. And if you really go back with an objective mind, you, you see that. That's interesting because in one of my uh, conversations that I alluded to earlier uh, in the coffee shop with with uh, uh, one of the believers that uh, approached me when they saw I was uh, perusing the Bible, they um, my question to them was about Genesis. I'm like that whole Genesis trip where they just so and so begat so and so, and they had eight daughters and seven sons, and so and so begot so and so, and they go back. <laughs> it's just endless like it's to me i yeah. found it kind of humorous it's like it's second city could make a, a comedy sketch out of this but um my response from this individual was was that this is uh how the bible verifies the uh the story and the authenticity going back over the ages and um and the only way back then because there was no bitcoin protocol um, you had the written word to uh, to uh, record, you know, to this is this spiritual ledger, I guess. That's right. That's right. And I and before that, it was oral because there there was, you know, Moses is the one who wrote the, the first five books of the Bible. And um, Moses was not around for the first, you know, he's writing in the entire book of Genesis. He's writing and he wasn't even around. So a lot of that you have to imagine that you don't have to imagine but it was it was orally passed down and obviously the holy spirit influenced moses but i think that we get sidetracked in thinking that oral traditions are not as good as written traditions really what we're talking about is information and information if it's true information it's passed down and respected and codified just like we're taking the time to codify the Bitcoin blockchain, if Bitcoin's so important, which we all believe it is, but if it's so important, we are going to make sure that the information from the first Genesis block forward is maintained and accurately stored and, and um, kept. If, if Bit, just for the sake of argument, Bitcoin as a money, if it's that important, Think about how important the origins of the universe are. So if you're, you know, Adam and Eve and, and, you know, Cain and Abel and their descendants, and you have first or secondhand knowledge of important events like that, you're no different than us. Most people think that ancient man 
was um, more not as educated or I don't want to say, say the word stupid, but yeah, they didn't have they didn't have the tools of knowledge, but their intellect. OK, that's their intellect was just as high as ours. Mm-hmm. Their emotions, their their human nature is just the same as ours. So, well, if it you goes see to something Sam, and you're well, we still have the the books uh, of you know uh, the great Greek philosophers, and um, that's right, that's right. This, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, you, you're right. Uh, in fact, but but people don't go down that. People fail to actually analyze and compare. You know ancient greek text to the biblical text the biblical texts are far more reliable than um, ancient greek texts so the point is is that if you're a witness to something that is fundamentally very important you're going to ensure that that information is passed down and um, that's that's the purpose of the bible okay so now i'm gonna get heavy on you at this point um let's do it don't worry take a breath <laughs> uh, I have been astounded. I'm uh, uh, from Canada, and uh, what I have seen happening since the announcement of a pandemic, uh, and I use that term loosely because you know the yes, CDC and the WEF changed the very definition of the yes. word pandemic to create this pandemic, and they yes. made that edit. Only a year before they announced the pandemic, conveniently. Uh, so I lose my job. Um, I become a second-class citizen in my own country because I was not allowed to go to the supermarket to buy food without a vaccination passport at one point. That was going to be the thing. And um, uh, I'm not allowed to support people fighting for freedom or sticking up, or simply protesting, peacefully protesting. And if I do, I'm called a Nazi. I am um, anti-Semitic. I am any list of names. I'm an enemy, public enemy number one mm-hmm. to the country, to the state, to the to the citizenry. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? Oh, I get into conversations with people in social circumstances. And when they ask me if I've been vaccinated and I say no, suddenly I'm a leper to them. I shouldn't mm-hmm. even be talking to you. What are you doing? You're, you should be put in jail. This actually happened to me. I, I was like living in a science fiction movie. It had become reality. It was like invasion of the body snatchers became real. Uh, my mm-hmm. own family, sadly, we had tremendous differences over this. Um, so I just felt like it was time for me to leave. And, uh, I got in a van, packed up everything and left and hence Nomad 21. So I'm, uh, wandering, you know, the face of the earth in in my van and, uh, it's, Mm -hmm. I I joke around. I'm like uh, Bruce Banner from the incredible Hulk, mm. Bill Bixby. Oh yeah. We're dating ourselves here, but you know, Oh yeah, you are. You definitely are <laughs> picking up odd jobs, you know, in the strange towns yeah, that yeah. I roll into, you know, time after time. But uh, I just feel that these, all these things, and now there's talk of baby factories. I don't know if you've seen this, they're going to mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. grow babies in pods without, mm-hmm. you know, the, 
uh, warm human embryo of, of a mother. And, and mm-hmm. that connection that mother and child share simply because the child is reared from the mother directly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's an incredible connection between human offspring and the mother. And you're going to now separate that. And uh, I mean, I could go on and on. And and the the results of the, this experimental concoction that they're poking everybody with and tried so hard to get me, and they're still trying to get everybody up in Canada and, and in the USA and all over the place. So in this world, in this existence, in this dark time, how does God exist? Because, you know, back in the Bible... God created more fish when there was hunger and God uh, made the blind man see and uh, the leper cured and all these wonderful miracles. I mean, if ever there was a time, wouldn't now be a good one for God to make his presence known. And, uh, and I say this respectfully, I'm not um, Mm -hmm. making light of it. uh, But I mean, this is my search. I, I, I want God to be real. I want, someone to say whoa 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 you guys are out of control down there take time out let's take you out of power let's do this let's straighten things out a little bit uh i know that's you know that that takes the responsibility off ourselves i mean we have to affect the change to 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 become a better person and to get closer to god therefore uh so i mean what are your thoughts on that that's a big crazy ramble that I just went on, but uh, I think you get the spirit of what I'm. Yeah, of course. Of course. And, and I don't, I don't, I mean, out of the six or 8 billion, however many people are on the earth now, I mean, how many people ask that question every day, you know, probably a billion people, uh, if not hundreds of million people, people, hundreds of millions of people ask that question. Uh, You know, I guess, that fundamentally, when you kind of boil down the genesis of that question, it's about suffering, right? So there's trauma going on, there's crazy things going on, and from a societal perspective, you would you would look at it that people, institutions are suffering under what appear to be just maniacal, you know, policies, and if the you corruption. think about it from a very perfect, the yeah, the corrupt, right. So, it's, but yeah. the, the but the goal. Well, I guess what I'm saying, Nomad, is that you're talking about suffering, and you're talking about it from a global societal perspective. But we all ask that question on a personal level when a dear one when a dear one dies. We ask. I've asked that question even as a strong Christian. I ask, you know, where are you, Lord? And and you mentioned you read the Psalms and you read the Psalms. And if if you get anything out of the Psalms, the one thing you should understand is that David and the other psalmists go through the range of human emotions from anger, guilt, doubt, you know, F you God. I mean, it goes through the range, but but it all comes back to acknowledging in humility that God is the creator. So 
I can't say why God's not appearing now. That's not for me to say. I think that, you know, there's the passage in the Bible where um, someone basically asks him that same question. And, and Jesus says, look, if even if someone came, was raised from the dead and came back and told you and your family not to, he was t- telling a parable, um, told your family to stop doing their behavior so they could avoid going to hell, they would not listen. And obviously he, he was using that as a foreshadow to his own death. But we all, every generation wants that sign. And that's the, that's where that, that's that faith. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're not, we're not asking for blind faith. The Lord would never at never, never. That's, I hate that term. I don't have a blind faith. So the evidence is there. It's, it's your goal. You nomad and those listening or whoever it's your goal to look at the evidence and make the connection and i would i would challenge you to say that the evidence is stronger for a christian faith than it is to believe in bitcoin but even with bitcoin i know you had that faith moment where you decided Okay, at first you probably thought it was a Ponzi or a scam, but then you started looking at the evidence of it without even interacting with it. You looked at the evidence of it, and then you had a faith moment where you went to Kraken or you know, you know, Coinbase or whatever, and you pushed the buy button. That was your act of faith in affirming that you believed in Bitcoin, and it's mm-hmm. the no, it's no different than having an affirming faith in the Lord. It's looking at the evidence and making an informed decision that I believe in you and I trust you. It's, it's no different than how you came to Bitcoin. Awesome. Well done. I, um, I respect that answer and, uh, it's just real nice to to uh, hear someone else's perspective. Uh, you know, I've what been do, in. Sorry, go ahead. Well, no, Matt, I I appreciate that, and you know, I I've thought about this a lot. Um, I think that really kind of what separates the the faith in Bitcoin and the faith in God is the the moral aspects of what a decision like faith in God means, because there's a lot of there are a lot of moral decisions that have to be made after that. And quite frankly, there's a lot of moral baggage that comes along with, you know, Christianity. So that's the difference. If we could strip away all the morality from Jesus, you'd have Bitcoin, but we don't need to be saved from, you know, our money, so to speak, we need to be saved from ourselves. And so ourselves are the ones that make all these morally bad, bad choices. And, so we need the we need to we need the morality, and that's what Jesus is. He he fixes all the, you know, Bitcoin fixes this. Well, Jesus fixes the soul. Bitcoin can't fix the soul. What do you think about the concept that this uh, world, uh, the society of of Bitcoiners, this, uh, you know, is this maybe the next stage, the evolution in? 
a kind of Christianity. And uh, with the incentive structure that Satoshi has laid out for us, which may or may not be divinely, you know, gifted to that individual, but it's so incredible. And it, it really emphasizes the positivity. Um, it, it, it brings the best out of us. And um, before we started the recording, you and I were talking about this world of uh, Keat, and now we have Noster under uh, heavy development. And the idea that decentralized open protocols will make the world a better place. Is this all part of the plan? I wish I knew. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I've actually thought about that, but I'm not sure I have an answer for it. I think that if you, no matter, I'm, I'm not sure I actually have an answer for that. I mm -hmm. think that if, if you look at the past 100 years of secular history, the actually probably 150 years, there's been a effort, and I don't I don't mean people are colluding. I, you know, you talked about dark forces and all that, but the spirit of the world, the spirit of this age. Um, since the, the age of reason, um, when man's reason became the pinnacle of, of thought, self-sustaining, we find ourselves right now at this point in history of maximal human reasoning and maximal centralization. So I mentioned I was re I, I'm doing an, I'm writing another book right now. So the, the way I kind of it's, and I actually have a, a section of my book that I talk about the renaissance of man's reason. So if anything, I would hope that Bitcoin would usher in a, a renaissance of man's reason. And if you go back and actually look at the renaissance, the renaissance was a wonderful time. Um, and going back further to the early Jewish culture and, and Jewish religion, you have God presenting a truth and we're going to, obviously simplify this greatly for illustrative purposes, but with God, you have him providing truth in the form of 10 commandments to Moses. A religious system is organized around that. And, you know, the first several thousand, or maybe not several thousand, but thousand years of Jewish history, God was leading his nation and the, the Jewish people wanted a king so they got a king and then you know you, you get all the stuff that happens with david and and saul and and all the monarchs after that but the point is is that god gave a very simple truth and man took it centralized it and corrupted it jesus came as another manifestation of truth and railed against the centralization and the modification of the simple truth set god gave and what did we do with that you mentioned catholicism so um, over several hundred years and a thousand and fifteen hundred years, man developed institutions around a very simple truth of Jesus saying, follow me. And it became very centralized. And the Reformation was a the first attempt to break down that centralization of thought around, you know, who God is 
But at that point, we didn't want to accept God's truth. We already had two attempts at, at doing it right, and we decided we didn't want either one. So God's truth was replaced by man's truth, and that's that's essentially the birth of the Renaissance. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I love the Renaissance, and wonderful things came out of the Renaissance, but the 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 point is is that that's when man's truth started to become the center of the world and then just like before man corrupted his own truth uh god's truth and centralized it into into organizations and institutions we've done the same thing with our own truth mm-hmm. but it we're we're at the point of maximal confusion because man's truth is not based in absolutes. It's, it's based in relative relativity. And, you know, what, what I say is truth is truth. And that's why we have, that's why things are so confusing right now is because we have no basis in reality. We, we, we have um, what Francis Schaeffer would call, we we're flying upside down. We have no basis in truth or reality right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are there any other examples of, a uh, period of time in history uh, that reflects our present one, uh, biblically speaking or otherwise, that you can think of to compare what we're going through. And uh, I know, you know, we have examples of uh, Jesus um, uh, the destroying the marketplace that uh, they set up in, mm-hmm. in the church, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. but on a larger scale, um, has has there been uh, a, a moment in time that you can cite that maybe we can look to um, and glean some some wisdom from from recorded history? I think so. I I, I you know I'm a student of Christian missions. Um, so if if you look at the arc of human history and God's interaction with man. Um, every time there is an advance in the kingdom of God, um, the, the dark forces of this world come against it and they, they seemingly win for a period of time. And then God's kingdom advances again. And if you look at the most recent history, going back to the period of the Romans, um, you know, you had wave after wave of barbarians, the Scythians, the the Visigoths, the Goths that came against um, the Roman Empire. And I, I can assure you that every single one of those invasions from the barbarians until Rome finally fell in 415 or whenever it was, the, the Western Kingdom, um, people probably felt the same way we felt. I mean, things didn't make sense. You know, God was judging us. Um I think anytime there's a, if you've never read the the book, the do you mean term, God was judging us? Sorry to interrupt. Do you mean uh, God's judging us? God was judging us in, in terms of uh, evaluating our performance or, or uh... I, I, I'm, I'm very careful to not say that certain, and this has only come through age and wisdom. When I was younger, I probably would say yes, but, the, I'm very careful not to say that certain actions are judgments of God because, you know, you, no one, we're never going to know. And yeah. you can, you, you go down a very slippery slope that 
our response should be to accept what is happening and trust the Lord for the outcome. So, I mean, no matter what, if my opinion was, this was a judgment of God. So the, the real question is, what's your, what's your response going to be? And if your response isn't going to be any different, then it, it really doesn't factor into the equation. Um, mm-hmm. the, if you thought this was the judgment of God, would that mean that you get down on your knees tonight and ask God for forgiveness? Maybe, maybe not, but I'm not, I'm not, it, it, it really, it's, it's a non sequitur in, in my analysis. I, I don't think about that, but I know that in swaths of human history, the confusion that we are experiencing now in our institutions and whatnot, this is just another turning. This is just another cycle. Mm-hmm. Here's one for you. Um, in the days of uh, Jesus as uh, God on earth, uh, the son of God, uh, sharing the message of his father and gathering companionship, uh, apostles, um, the, the first uh, the first Christian preacher, I, I guess we could say. Um, but his apostles and those that came after, uh, as we know, as is well recorded, were persecuted uh, for their beliefs. And um, I'd like to draw a parallel between that situation and the early uh, Bitcoiners, uh, because we're very early in, in this Bitcoin lifetime. It's only been 14 years. No, man, I'm, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop you right there because I, I know what you're going to ask. And, and if I don't get it right, just I'll, you can ask it, but I would shudder at making that comparison okay. because I write this in one of my books, you know, Jack Mahler's famously said, I'll die on this Hill. Well, Really? Do you really think that if I threaten Jack Mahler's with death or beheading or crucifixion, do you really think he would not give up on Bitcoin? You know, so. I think. In a lighter, less extreme uh, restructuring of that question, do you see a point in time where uh, Bitcoiners do get persecuted on some level? Do we get blamed for what a lot of us believe is about to happen with the financial, the traditional financial system of the world? Do, do Bitcoiners get blamed for that in some way in the aftermath? I, I don't know. And honestly, I, I don't, I don't spend my time thinking about it. I don't, I don't care. And I guess the, because you can hide, you could probably kind of hide your, your Bitcoin faith, so to speak. But when the rubber meets the road, it's really difficult to, to hide your Christian faith. You, you really act different than other people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's deeds, you're not, not, you're not words. Yeah, yeah. And I think the other thing I would say about the word persecution is um, to use the word like, you know, Holocaust or something like that for a non-trivial matter would probably make a Jewish person cringe. Mm-hmm. And I had the honor and privilege of taking 
care of Holocaust survivors when I practiced in Bethesda, Maryland. And, you know, so we really want to make sure with words like persecution that we really don't minimize what extreme, extreme extremists, I guess, mm-hmm. that those early Christian martyrs went through. I mean, it was it was horrific. And I don't think a Bitcoiner is ever going to face anything like that. You know, no beheadings, no tar pits, no thrown to the lions. I, that's just not going to happen. Okay. Um, in beginning to wrap up now, is there any uh, specific message that you'd like to send out there? Um, because we know that uh, certainly in, in recent history, uh, Christianity dare I say, had become unfashionable. You know, people, atheism was a big thing and, uh, you know, believing in science. I mean, that's a touchy thing to say mm-hmm. these days, obviously. <laughs> but um, um, in light of, of uh, this recent advent of, of Bitcoin, for example, um, are we seeing a movement back to Christianity becoming a, a realistic uh, solution or a realistic, I shouldn't say solution, but a realistic path for people to get back onto? Um, I think so. And I think that the other thing that I'm hopeful for, and I've written a little bit about it, but I haven't spent a lot of time on it, is I honestly believe, as crazy as it sounds, I honestly believe you can use Bitcoin to teach the gospel. And Sorry, there I missed have been that. so I, many ways that I missed that. Can you say that yeah. again? Yeah, I honestly believe that we can use Bitcoin to teach the gospel. And the I think for Christianity, are you there? Yes, sir. Are you there? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I believe for Christianity, this might be an opportunity for us to, quote unquote, take a second bite at the apple. Um, a lot of Christian missions have failed. And as you mentioned, there's, there's been a lack of, um, enthusiasm in Christianity because I think a lot of people look at the Christian movement right now and see a lot of hypocrisy. And I don't want to get into that, but, um, it it is what it is. And I think that with Bitcoin, it uh, provides us an opportunity to demonstrate absolute truth in a secular, quote unquote, secular system and would allow us to just gently point people back to the gospel through that. But I think if used properly by the church, I think Bitcoin could be a really nice way to introduce people into Christianity. Awesome. Um I thank you very much for your time, sir. This has been an interesting and enlightening conversation. Uh, I wish you the best with all of your projects. It's not like you have a shortage of anything to do. Um, But if people want to find out more about uh, Lago Bitcoin, it's at Lago Bitcoin, I believe. Is that correct? It's at Lago Bitcoin, and that'll direct you to at Lake Bitcoin. So Lago is Lake and in Spanish. So Lake Bitcoin or Lago Bitcoin on Twitter. And then, you know, obviously if you're interested in reading some of my stuff, you can just type my name in on Amazon and my books will come up there. 
the philosophy of Bitcoin and religion, understanding Bitcoin as a religion is Patrick's latest book. And if you want to dig even deeper, you can go back to the Christian case for Bitcoin um, and and a new book in the works. And I'm excited to to learn more about that as uh, time permits. Um, thank yeah, you so great. kindly for your time today. Really appreciate it. And a very rewarding conversation. By the way, you're the first live interview on Nomad 21. So uh, kudos, mister. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, Nomad. Thanks so much. Patrick Melder, folks. I was really struck by his genuine nature and his ability to demystify Christianity through the lens of the Bitcoin protocol. And no matter our personal beliefs, I think there were many pearls of wisdom to be gleaned from this discourse. So thanks for spending your time with us. Nomad21. Find me on Twitter at Nomad underscore 21. And you can find the pod on the Fountain app, Apple, Spotify, Podverse, Antenna, etc. Wherever you hose out your Bitcoin content. And don't forget the Rumble channel. All the best to you and yours. We'll meet again down the long and dusty 